Hello, and welcome to the JCR, a Massey podcast where people and ideas intersect. I'm Pranjal Tiwari, a graduate student at the University of Toronto, and with me I have Warwick Watt. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Warwick Watt. I'm a geoscientist at the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, and I've been with the organization going on five years now. Today, we're going to discuss how nuclear waste is typically managed, how well Canada is doing, and how all this is communicated to the average person. So let's start out with the simple parts. What exactly is nuclear waste? It's not as uh, simple of a question as some people might think. Um, there are different types of nuclear waste. Um, they can generally fit into three different categories. We have low, intermediate, and high level waste. The waste our organization is involved in is what we call the high level waste, and more specifically use nuclear fuel. The waste itself is a stable solid. It's baked into a ceramic pellet. So sometimes in on social media or in pop culture, it might be portrayed as being a goo or a gas. That is not the case, it's a nice and stable solid. These pellets are placed and sealed within a specially designed container, um, which is then bound into what we call a fuel bundle. That waste comes from the power generating units within the country. Uh, I assume this is a standard that not just Canada has and everyone it does the same thing, right? Yes, uh, there are slight differences between the used nuclear fuel from different countries based on the technology that they're using. But yes, it's very standard. Um, it's all uh, uranium that then, through the process of fission, it generates this, uh, this waste product. How dangerous is it really for humans? Uh, you said that it's, it's a ceramic, so in principle you can hold it and then put it in a box and put it away somewhere. When used fuel comes out of the reactor, it is highly radioactive. Um, it's, if humans are exposed to that radiation, it can be deadly. The, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, or the CNSC, has a great website that explains radiation and uh, the dangers surrounding it. And it explains it in layman's terms so the general public can understand it. So that's a really good resource that I encourage people uh, to look into. Another factor about um, the used fuel is that it is radioactive for very long periods. Um, so it takes approximately uh, uh, one million years for that radiation level to drop down to, back uh, to background levels. Um, that's why it's really important that Canada's plan for deep geological repository is implemented. The plan is implemented on behalf of Canadians and will manage the used nuclear fuel uh, safely over the very long term that it takes to reduce back to background levels. Is, is there a unit of measurement to like tell us, uh, tell a layperson how radioactive it is? Like say, is it comparable to dose that you would get from flying on a plane? Perhaps? Yes, there is, and again, that um, resource that I told you about from the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission will really explain that and give comparisons. Um, there's a few different units you can use. One of them is Becquerel's, um, and it's generally a time dose. So it looks at the amount of radiation someone would be exposed to um, over a certain amount of time. 
Um, essentially, if you were exposed to used fuel coming straight out of a reactor, it would probably kill you almost instantaneously. So it's something that uh, we have to look after very carefully. It's very closely managed. Um, the Canadian Sa uh, Nuclear Safety Commission has very stringent controls around it. And we are also governed by the International Atomic Energy Agency, which gives oversight on Canadian processes for it. You mentioned there was a plan to sequester the nuclear waste. Is there any way to completely dispose of this without, I guess, throwing it into the ground for years, for millions of years? Yes, good question. Um, currently, there is no way to do that, and um, there are no theories, essentially, on how to do it. Uh, it's just one of the um, natural phenomenons of um, radioactive decay. Once you start that process, you can't stop it. Um, so you can reprocess waste and you can pull the products apart, but at the end of the day, you're still left with this, uh, these radioactive um, elements that are going to be radioactive in the very long term. And that's why uh, Canada's plan, when we went and um, consulted with Canadians as well as with the international public, uh, we went and looked at what other countries were going to be doing. The consensus is that a deep geological repository is the way to go because there's no other way to safely handle this waste. Can, uh, can you give a, a few more details of this uh, deep geological repository? Like, what is it? Is it just a giant hole in the ground? <laughs> when it comes down to the basics of it, yes, we build a... Essentially, what we are doing is we're building an underground mine. But in conventional mining, you're building an underground mine to take things out of the ground. We're building this mine to put things inside of the ground. So how it works is we will sink a shaft um, underground and then to the level we want to place the waste at. And then you create these caverns, and inside these caverns you place the used fuel. And the uh, fuel bundles are placed within a very specially designed container that is designed by NWMO. And these are uh, st stainless steel containers that are coated with uh, copper. And they're coated with copper to stop corrosion. It's called the used fuel container. It is then placed within what a naturally occurring clay called bentonite. bentonite. We use bentonite because when it comes into contact with water, it swells and it stops any more water being able to come into contact with the container. We then place that bentonite container inside uh, the, the host rock. The rock itself that we're looking for is very stable rock. It's been around for millions to billions of years. Um, and it, it has, uh, it's really strong and it's got really, really low permeability, which means water doesn't flow through it very easily at all. Okay, so nuclear material, copper encasing, the bent, uh, bent bentonite. bentonite. From what I understand, they're not designed to shield from the radiation itself. It's just to keep it in one place. Is that right? That is correct. So radiation itself doesn't travel very far. So what we are wanting to do is protect a particle of that used fuel from coming into contact with the environment or with humans on the surface. So by isolating it underground, um, we are preventing that um, any particles from coming to the surface. So we are just, it's about keeping the distance away from the environment and humans because if you keep that distance away, people can't access it and then therefore the environment's gonna be safe. You, you said old rock, old geologic formations, so that there wouldn't be any water that gets in. Is that right? Yes, so there's a couple of things we look at, and I personally work within the geoscience team. So what we're looking at is rock that's been around for a long time and that we can prove 
has been stable for a long time. Because if it's been stable for a long time, we can also predict what's going to happen into the future. So we want to make sure for the next 10,000, 100,000 years, up to a million years, that this rock is going to be stable. And then secondly, not only is it stable, that it doesn't have pathways for water to interact with the used fuel. So when we're assessing the rock, we're making sure that the locations we'll place the used fuel at doesn't have big, large fractures connecting um, the, the repository to surface, which would act as a pathway. How many of these sites are there in Canada? It's an uh, interesting question. So Canada's approach is when we were formed as an organization, the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, we went out to Canadians and asked municipalities who would be interested in learning more about the process and potentially being a host for a deep geological repository. And we had 22 communities that came forward. The vast majority of these were from Ontario and we had a few from uh, Saskatchewan. Through the process of evaluating um, the, the technical attributes of uh, these sites and as well as engaging with the public in those areas, we are now down to two sites. The one site is in northwestern Ontario. It is a uh, Wabagoon Lake Ojibwe Nation Ignis area. Um, it's, it's set in a crystalline setting, so crystalline rock, ver uh, granite essentially. And then the second area is a Salgeen Ojibwe Nation South Bruce area, which is located about 50 kilometers inland from the Bruce nuclear power plant. We down to those two sites and we predict a decision to be made on which site would be going forward to, uh, by the end of next year, by the end of 2024. You said the, the NWMO uh, works in tandem with the International Nuclear Safety... Is, is that the International Atomic Energy Agency. That's, that's right. How does Canada compare with, say, other countries? That is a great question. Um, Canada is following uh, the leading science around the world. We collaborate with many countries on our plan for used fuel. Most countries are implementing the exact same plan we're implementing in terms of a deep geological repository. There's some countries that are further along in this process and have started um, construction, uh, constructing their DGR. Um, examples are uh, Sweden, Finland, Switzerland, France is following a similar um, methodology. Japan is looking into the same methodology. So around the world, there's a global consensus that a deep geological repository is the safest way to manage used fuel in the long term. Why is, e is each country making their own repository for only their own nuclear fuel? Why not just have one large cavern? It's a very good question. And you know our approach is that at the NWMO, we are mandated to look after Canadians use fuel. We don't want to be taking fuel from other countries where we didn't benefit from the generation of that electricity. And that is generally the consensus when it comes to uh, the nuclear industry. There are strong concerns around non-proliferation. And um, so if we start sharing uh, used fuel around um, the world, there can be concerns of people extracting plutonium, which can be used for uh, by bad state actors. So the consensus is that we should be looking after the, the country that produces the waste should be looking after the long-term disposal of that waste. So I had no idea about any of this, but what would you say are some roadblocks about talking about nuclear waste, say, with the public? Uh, that's a very good question. We, we do a lot of engagement. Um, we're out there speaking to the public about the work we do, um, listening to their concerns. 
I think one of the biggest roadblocks is misconceptions. Uh, I think people hear anything to do with nuclear and they think it is extremely complicated and extremely dangerous. And uh, trying to get past that hurdle can sometimes uh, be difficult. It invokes an emotional response in people. When we start talking to people and explaining the concept and explaining what we do, in my experience, people appreciate that and they come to be able to understand it and once they start to understand it and they feel comfortable doing their own research and then that makes them more comfortable with the idea. So I think the fear of the unknown is the biggest roadblock we have and the best way to combat that is just by talking to people, going out there, presenting to the public, inviting them to come look at the work we're doing, showing them what we're doing especially in the communities we're working in, it is very important to do that. So when we're running our deep borehole drilling campaigns, we invite members of the public in that community to come in uh, for a tour of the borehole. We take them around, we show them uh, the state of the art, art science we're doing. We show them the rock, they can hold the rock that's gonna hold um, the used fuel, potentially hold the used fuel. And I think that is the biggest, um, the biggest way we can engage with people is by bringing them on, showing them and making them feel uh, part of the, the program. Another big roadblock we have is what pop culture has done about the nuclear industry. You know, it's, it's a running joke in the nuclear industry that the Simpsons are the most damaging thing to ever happen to nuclear. And if you're familiar with watching The Simpsons, you know that Homer Simpson works at a nuclear plant and there's green goo floating around and you press one wrong button and there's um, radioactivity spreading around everywhere. And that's just not the case. We are, an ex first of all, the used fuel itself, as we discussed, is a stable ceramic. It's not gonna flow anywhere. It's not readily dissolvable in water. So from that aspect, it's very safe. Um, and then we're extremely regulated. We are probably one of the most regulated industries in the world for good cause. Um, but through that regulation, um, it would be very hard for anything to go wrong. Notwithstanding, there have been nuclear accidents in the past, but those have been few and far in between and they tend to grab the attention of people and people focus on that. It has its benefits as well because uh, the nuclear industry is so tied into the success of if one person fails, everyone fails. So it's very collaborative. There's a lot of knowledge sharing and um, getting together and saying, how can we do things better? So when will this facility be online? That's a very good question. <laughs> we expect to make a decision to select a site by uh, the end of next year, by the end of 2024. We will then begin the regulatory approval stages. There's several, um, there's several licenses uh, we need to obtain through the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission and public hearings that we'll need to attend. And if all of this goes well, we will hopefully have a license to construct in 2035. Very hopeful that it all goes well. Warwick, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to the JCR Massey Podcast. I'm Brangel Duarte.